recording. Before you bring Beginning my in. Heart. Five, two, three, two, one. Wow, I just fucked up counting. We're off to a great start. Sorry, but you fail look, English, impossible. Looking at vaccine stuff on the side here. We fail math, also impossible. I'm in danger. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to QA Quest episode 204. I'm your low-level internet troll, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always... Uh, Master of the Jokers game, David McBurney, Pamela Master. High energy, Phantom Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> We're all clearly in very different brain spaces tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Michael Baker, Gaijin Mino Guitari, yes. Okay. <laughs> I know, I, I have no idea whatever I'm going to say at the start of one of these, I just take whatever you guys say and just make something up yeah i usually spend like three minutes before the podcast deciding like yeah what do i feel like referencing today <laughs> see so what have we all been playing well i just finished typing up an impression for the site oh. probably put up tomorrow do tell give us the preview yeah. Um, okay, what's well, a good quote from this thing? Um, let's see. Um, okay, so it's not that words can't describe how awful this game is. To the contrary, there are plenty of goodly bad words in the dictionary that would fit. However, due to the family-friendly nature of the RP Gamer site policy, I am heavily discouraged from using the best and most appropriate ones. Well... <laughs> Well then. That sounds uh, excoriating, to say the least. I had fun writing this, to be honest. Um, well, at least you had fun doing something with it, apparently. Yeah. Oh no, here we go. Um, okay. As it turns out, the biggest and most difficult question to answer was, with all the choices available, why the heck did I choose to buy Hoshio Mirahito? Ah... <sighs> The answer, of course, being that there is a strange and interesting difference between dreading that a new game might be awful and knowing full well that you are running headfirst into a dumpster fire to see the pretty colors up close. Yeah, I'm very much in that latter category most of the time. <laughs> I played Sonic 06 on purpose. More than once. Well, I've got Esper Dream on my 3DS still. <laughs> Which has several things in common with this game while also actually being a better game. Yeah. Like... Barely a better game. <laughs> with load That's... times. Uh... As an early Famicom game being uh, emulated on the 3DS. Really impressive there. It was originally a disc system game. so Yeah, so it's got the access pauses. Yes, and at least, thankfully, there was one town where simply entering it made the game prompt you to tur to flip the disc over. Mm hmm Because the, the town was on the second half of the disc. Of course. The area surrounding the town was not. You really couldn't have packed the data in a different fashion. Nope, apparently not. Lovely. Yeah. So, I mean, it's right up there with the original... Castlevania 2's um, loading system 
Just getting Sometimes knocked it, into the... Yeah. <laughs> Knocking you back into a different zone and you have to switch discs again. Um. Uh, this system was super important in terms of how it affected Famicom game design, but we kind of got lucky in the U.S. not having to deal with its idiosyncrasies because uh, disc systems don't work anymore at all. Mm-hmm. I know they were still being, um, like, I think they were still being serviced for repairs until, like, 2003 or 2004. Yeah, that's when Nintendo officially cut off repairs and replacement services for the Famicom in Japan. Wow. Which is incredibly long-lasting when you think about it. Yeah, because if it's, if it's, uh, if it was 2004 when they cut off, Famicom started manufacture in 1983. Yeah. It's a good 20 years. That would be like if they were uh, announcing that they were going to stop repairing the GameCube. Mm-hmm. Of course, those things are built like tanks, and I don't... I've rarely, if ever, seen a GameCube that no longer functions, so... <laughs> My friend had one that didn't work. Huh. Was there a reason why? I don't know. I assume drive laser. Yeah, something like that. And it had trouble reading discs. Yeah, maybe, the drive laser, laser wears out before anything else in basically all of the systems of that generation. I'm gonna say maybe Donkey Kong accidentally fell into the box during through that one glitch in his game and started beating things up. <laughs> Damn it, Donkey! Yeah, so in conclusion, you're not uh, you're not recommending people run out and play Hoshio Mirohito just because it's been re-released. <laughs> oh, let's see. Going to the very end in the conclusion, let's see. What do we say here? Um, would I ever in my life recommend this to anybody else? Yes, actually, for the same reasons that I might recommend the opus of Ed Wood to an aspiring student of cinematography. <laughs> Sometimes it's worthwhile to take a look at the depths to which a medium can sink in order to better understand how not to make the same mistakes. <laughs> That's understandable. Yeah. At this point, it has become less of a game to enjoy and more an experience to endure for the sake of saying that you have. And that's probably the nicest thing anyone has ever said about it. Yeah. I'm glad that uh, Akusoge of that fashion can be re-released. Yep. Not not just Akusoge, as I point out. It is a Densetsu no Akusoge. <laughs> The legendary shit game. Yes. Oh. So, is that, uh, yeah. that all you want to report on that you've been playing? Or? Yeah, mainly because I keep... Um, well, I almost made it through the next part of... Um, of uh, Super King Magic Zero, again. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through like an area ahead of it in order to grab as many one-ups as I could before taking on the laser temple, laser monastery, mm-hmm. because that place is full of bright, shiny, sparkly instant death. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I think I went through like 17 lives before Dang. dying. At the, because it's also had, it also has magic doors that will ask you questions, and if you answer wrong, then the door will attack you. Oh, good. Which is oh. not normally too much of an issue because you can hide just to the side and avoid most of it. It is an issue when there is a laser quad cannon just slowly panning across around the room. And you can't afford to stay still for very long. Yeah. So. 
So That's going swimmingly. <laughs> yeah. So mental note: whatever the correct answer is, it's the answer on the left, not the right. The left-hand answer. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it's, it should be noted that the um, the trivia questions that these doors ask about lasers. I've only actually found the answer to one of them in the game. The others, I have no idea how anyone would have known the answers. It's got to be generally laser-obsessed. Yep. Oh, no, no, I mean, it's it's like, what what flavor was the first laser invented? Or what, what? flavor was the first green laser? I don't what? understand. The choices are avocado and wasabi. <laughs> sure. Uh, and which is correct? Wasabi. Uh, of course. Um, the and the the last door that I died against, it was like, okay, I'm gonna give you an easy one. Okay, good. What was what color was Henry VIII's white laser? The choices are orange and purple. I don't. <laughs> I feel like this is a trick. Yeah. Okay, then. Well, um, I'm going to back away and pretend I understand. Oh, I'm not even trying to pretend I understand this game. <laughs> at least it's, uh, at least it stands out. That it does. That it does. It's, it's an interesting game. Uh, so, Wheels. Yes. Is it a mystery what you've been playing? Uh, you know, I've been you know digging into the the last dungeon in Persona Five Royal a little bit. Nice. All That's of, a big dungeon. Yeah, it's also pretty hard. Yeah. Well, I've been playing a little bit of Persona Q Two, which is going absurdly slow because every single character in that Master Froster has to in be introduced in excruciatingly slow fashion. That's including, a really baffling choice, because this is a video game for people who are already fans of the franchise. Yes, and this includes every member of the Velvet Room as well. There are like five of those now. Yeah, I know. So I haven't even gotten to uh, any cast members from the other two Persona games. We're just on Velvet Room people and new characters. I, I assume it starts you off with the five cast? Yes. Yeah. Although two of them get left behind in the first dungeon. And, Which ones? Why? Um, Queen and Noir, for no apparent reason. Oh. Well, that was a choice that they made for some reason. Hopefully get to uh, that soon, but I, I... It's such a strong premise, and they seem to be not making the best... taking the best advantage of it. Yeah. Like, it's, this isn't a full Persona game with, you know, all the bells and whistles. I don't think we need to be as wordy with everything and pretend like, like this Persona is a deep gets story. Away with that opening, with the long openings to me, because, like, it's setting up something and, like, it's building to something. And, like, Persona Q is a fan service game. It doesn't need to do that because that's not the kind of story it's telling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, I have gotten to explore the dungeon a fair amount and gotten into plenty of fights and enjoyed the wonderful music. It's just like... Uh, I've just only now gotten the ability to equip sub-personas and, you know, now you're wasting my time introducing 
the Velvet Room twins and the male and female Velvet Room characters from three. Why? Yeah, they added Theodore to the PSP version. And yeah, Elizabeth is the other Velvet Room person. On the bright side, there's only one from four. Well, that's good, but it was a, a lot of stupid story just to establish that that guy as the vendor. Okay, that, I mean, I, isn't that what he did in Persona Q1? It's been forever. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, like that's that's a weird decision to make. I don't really get what they were going for. I hope, hopefully it gets better, because I like the whole premise of, like, uh, it's a movie theater and you're going into, like, films. It's uh, like There's a lot of strong thematic elements here. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot to like about it. I just want to get, like, I played a bit of one. I just want to get to the meat of the freaking game. Mm -hmm. And I guess I should just start mashing the A button through some of these useless... Mm. Story sequences. Just not okay, a good well, thing to question, begin with a fan um, game. <laughs> question: What what's your favorite fan service game with a moderately large cast? Hmm. I'm not going to count Warriors. things that aren't RPGs because then I'd just say Smash. <laughs> uh, I'd say Hyrule Warriors. That's a fair one. That mm. that or um. The Final Fantasy Dissidia with the weird name. Duodecum? Yeah. Never cared much for the combat in that one, which was no. kind of a problem. So probably High Real Warriors. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking a couple I've played, like um, Tales of Frogs or. Um, what was the other one I'm thinking? Um, Starish and Blue Sphere, where both of those games started off with yeah, obviously the player's going to know these characters, so we're just going to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that Blue Sphere starts with a premise that's impossible because it starts with a party of everyone in Star Ocean 2. Minus two characters because. Minus the else two main characters. Go, minus the two main characters because the ri original mission is to go find them where they've mm. crash landed. But yeah, like you can't. You can't get everyone in the same party in Star Ocean 2, not just because the game only has eight party slots, but there are characters who will see someone else in the party and just abjectly refuse to join. <laughs> well, it looks like they all met up um, or made up in the post game. So. Good job on their part, given the imp uh, impairment some of them would have during that game. But okay, uh, yeah, that's why this one is a fan game. But yeah, and like, it's just too, one I of those things. Like everyone who cared enough to play a Star Ocean Two fan game is going to be like, sure, just put them all in the same place. I don't care. <laughs> yep. I'm just, I'm really amazed that they never took the cell phone remake and, or the nice graphics for it and just did the game on an e-store. That on Switch or something. No, it was just on cell phones. Cell phones have crushed so many of my dreams. <laughs> mm -hmm. In this case, it was definitely Square Enix crushing the dream because it should have been able to put that on 3DS easy. Yeah, that wouldn't have been difficult and they should have done it. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, that was a major graphical upgrade. I should look at that. I mean, it went from semi decent Game Boy Color to Super Nintendo. Don't worry, I'm here. 
I mean, that's that's an aesthetic I can always be get behind. Mm-hmm. I love how the they always had to sort of localize the Star Ocean logos, not because they weren't in English already, but because they look too much like Star Trek logos. <laughs> and I, I think yeah. there's a concern that they might be actionable. I mean, didn't the first game the, actually the steal part of Star Trek VI's intro? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, with uh, Captain Sulu and the the coffee falling off and the explosion of the planet and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's one of those things where it's like, this might be actionable if we just let it sail through. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a very nice-looking game. And Square is no stranger to just taking their like cell phone versions and putting them on consoles. Mm-hmm. They, they, they did that a bunch for... Uh, for... Uh, like all the Dragon Quest ports in modern times are just ripped from the cell phone version, even when that would be inadvisable. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well. So what else have you been playing, Wales? Um, You know, some game called Monster Hunter Rise or something. Oh, that seems obscure. I don't think I've heard of that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's because he's mispronouncing it. it should be Monster Hunter Rise. That's true. <laughs> or Monster Hunter Reset, if you want to pronounce the full name oh reset uh so yeah i talked a lot about before this game came out about how it looked like the proper sequel to monster hunter 4 and i can now confirm that that is the case it also apparently sold four million units in its opening weekend yeah that's pretty good um but um what was i gonna say uh, it really is a perfect mix of everything that was good about the old games with the quality of life improvements from Monster Hunter World without all the bullshit that Monster Hunter World added. That's good. Um, like, I was able to get to the multiplayer quest hub in about a minute by just skipping good. through a bunch of text and just going right in, and it was great, and... Everything loads fast. The, the quest areas are great. Riding a dog around the battlefield is awesome. You can even like use items and sharpen your weapons while riding the dog. Yeah, the dog especially. I appreciate that you have both the Palico and the Palamute if you're playing alone. Yeah. And the wire bug is fantastic. You can now zip around battlefields like crazy. You get knocked down, you can zip right back into battle. It's it's really, 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 really good. Can I just say how impressed I, I'm like watching you play this on stream, and I'm impressed that like that battlefield is going nuts, and it is doing a valiant uh, job of not dropping frames. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's a yeah, it's a very impressive Switch game. Yeah, no, and the performance, yeah, it's great. It's it's very impressive, and uh, I, I don't know what to say. I'll, I'll say about it. It's really good. Um, I was kind of wishing it had a mo more interesting story like 4 did. It doesn't seem to be the case, but again, that's not really, that's not really it, you, why you're going to play. Do you play a Monster Hunter game for the story? No. If it's there, it's that a nice bonus. That doesn't mean it bonus. can't be nice to have one, yeah. but it's definitely not the attraction. Right. 
Like four, it was a nice bonus, and that's part of the reason I ended up rating that game so highly. Um, but again, it's a nice bonus to have. Uh, maybe there'll be something more interesting later on. I honestly don't care because <laughs> it doesn't need it. Just love seeing you wire bug and then like wall run. Then looks that just looks cool. Yeah. No, this game is fancy. And uh, another nice thing I've noticed is. Another problem with the world is, like, a lot of the armored designs and stuff were kind of less fun and potentially world, hilarious. World aesthetic very much looks like they were very much trying to westernize the aesthetic to a yeah. small degree. Like, not, not completely, but to some degree. And this is almost going extremely in the opposite direction. This is a game that, ta that takes place in fantasy Japan. Yes. And I have a gun lance that looks like it has a mouth. Sure, why not? Which is... Well, actually, any any weapons made from this monster, the Ketsu, look, like, horrifying, so... <laughs> Good. But, like, the armor designs are great. It's corresponding armor designs for your your companions as well. It's... It's a joy. And I can't recommend it enough. I'll probably be playing it a ton for the rest of the year. Yeah, I'll uh, uh, probably play at least some of it with you over the weekend. Yeah, my plan with uh, playing you is I'm going to try all the weapons I'm terrible at. <laughs> so be prepared for that. See, that'll be perfect. Then yeah. I won't feel like I'm completely extreme. Exactly. So what weapon are you starting out with on the terrible at front? Probably the hammer. Ah... Um... How do you feel about the uh, hunting horn? <laughs> uh, I hate the hunting horn. Don't make me do it. You don't have to do it. I'm just saying. Okay, good. I mean, what what is the point and use of the hunting horn? Uh, so let's talk about bards. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is a support item and not actually attack. No, I think it can attack. No, yeah, it's it's similar to the hammer to some extent, except you can also play songs and buff yourself and other hunters. Oh, so you're not actually blowing it straight into the monster's ear for sonic damage? No. If only. That'd be funny. Oh, well. Or go into battle with bagpipes. <laughs> That'd be fun. But yeah, that's me. Um, played a little bit of Persona 5 Strikers here and there, but nothing else to say on that one. Because mm -hmm. my brain just... was overloaded by uh, too much Monster Hunter last weekend. Well, Wills, you'd be tickled to know that I did have at least one student cancellation from a class on Saturday because of the game. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Just the one. Yeah. The other the other person cancelled because of golf. Uh, can't believe they were playing golf story. <laughs> uh, the one thing I did notice about the game is like mm -hmm. both the village and a lot of the monster hunt monster selection is very seems to be particularly referencing Monster Hunter Portable. Uh, Monster Hunter 3... 
What did that they call? Portable third. Portable third, thank you. Uh, which sold some, like, nearly 5 million copies in Japan. Yeah. So they definitely seem to be trying to hit at nostalgia for that game in particular. Interesting. Like, even, even the the featured monster in this game is looks very similar to Zenogre, which was the featured monster in that game, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of monsters in this game, so maybe it's just a coincidence, but it it seems too specific. So that's cool. I mean, like, that was also, I think, the last one that had, like, a really heavy Japan theme? Yes, it did. So, makes sense to make that call back. Okay. Uh, and in what little time I've spent playing games over the past week, I've been kind of busy. I've been playing Persona 2, Innocent Sin. Nice. It's, uh, it, I love it. I love it. Um, it. It's honestly easier than I remembered, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Like... Uh, I recalled that, like, there are areas late in the game that are very navigationally difficult. And my brain had sort of transpo transposed that onto the actual combat difficulty, which is actually quite low. Like, uh... The, the game is also... It's also just a matter of, like, knowing the game's systems. Uh... And, like, what kind of play that it both wants and encourages. So, like, uh, I think the first time through I was not immediately clear on how, say, the Persona rank system works in that game. Where the more you use a Persona, the it, like, that's how it... It doesn't get experience just from being in combat. You have to use it in order to increase its rank. That's how it gets new skills. Hmm. And uh, how much that the game wants you to be reliant on the fusion spell mechanic, where like casting certain spells in certain orders will cause uh, more powerful ones to happen. When personas use fusion spells, they have like a if they finish the fight, they have a fifty percent chance of just getting stat buffs. Like, the, the mechanic is both incredibly strong in combat and incredibly good for your character growth. So it's a very strange uh, hmm. dynamic so, that they've set up where they really want you to be using fusion spells almost constantly. I don't think... That, have they actually used a system like this in any other game? Uh, Persona 3 has, like, a neutered version of the fusion spell system. Uh, but there's like six of them in the entire game, and they're entirely dependent on does your character have two personas? Does like the protagonist have two personas that are allowed to do a fusion spell together? They, it, no other game in the series uses the fusion spell system as anything other than like it's weird that this even kind of exists in Persona 3 because it might as well not. <laughs> Which tells you just about how well it was received in Persona 2. 
Which is a shame because like it's a like the the biggest issue with the fusion spell system is that the game doesn't have a way to tell you how to get them. Like it doesn't. It just sort of expects you to run into them, and a lot of them you will run into, like, because uh, a lot of them are just use two fire spells at the same time, and you will get a much stronger fire spell. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have have less to worry about in using uh, various spells because of the weird way that the magic system works, which is that. Uh, Magic cost is determined by the persona, not by the spell. So, okay, to look at your starting personas, like you have uh, the protagonist starting persona, Vulcan. It has uh, Agi as its first spell skill, and that costs five SP. That's pretty normal. In uh, if you rank it up all the way, it gets Maragi, which is just the fire spell that hits everything. That's still 5 S- five SP, because huh. that's just how much spells from that Persona cost. And that's a weird system. I'm not quite sure why it works like that, but I think it might have been to encourage you to experiment with all of a Persona's spells without feeling any sort of need to limit yourself. Um, generally, attacking with a weapon is always like a waste, a waste of opportunity. Because, again, you know, you do more damage, you get more uh, you, you get more stats by doing spells and fusion spells. And to, to make it more explicit, the uh, fusion the you regenerate SP by walking around. Like, the game wants you to be casting spells basically every battle. Hmm. So uh, there, there is much less of an emphasis on conserving your SP than in some of the other games. It's, it's a very strange dynamic. It's not an amazing balance. Like I said, it's a really easy game if you understand it on even a basic level. Uh, and that's, that's just been bearing out to me the entire time. Like... Uh, Buying weapons is kind of like the last thing you should be using your money on because they're just not that useful. Uh, you you shouldn't be making a lot of basic attacks, but like if you you know it's it, that's that's the dynamic that it encourages. But it is really cool uh, the way that the weapon shops work because like of course there aren't normally any places selling weapons in Tokyo or. I forget if this is supposed to be like in an Ursatz Tokyo or if it's supposed to be a different place. But, you know, there there aren't weapons uh, dealers there. So you have to go around to, like, uh, restaurants and find rumor mongers who are people who are like, oh, well, I heard X, Y, and Z is secretly a weapons dealer. And then, like, they'll tell you, but I heard that their prices are really high, but their equipment is really good. And then you might hear a conflicting rumor uh, that says that the place is is a weapons dealer, but that it's uh, that the price and quality are garbage, and you can determine what that weapons store is going to stock by which of those rumors you choose to spread around. <laughs> and there's all sorts of like the the rumor system is really neat because you'll get into like there was one bit early on where there's like a dungeon that you can get in, 
And if you, before you go in the dungeon, you can spread the rumor that you've heard that the second floor is a huge lab. Because if you do, there's more stuff in there to... Because there's, like, more treasure chests in the Labyrinth version of that floor of the dungeon. <laughs> as opposed to its base form. And, like, the like the, the way that everything in the game is tied in with this, like, idea of... Uh, you know, uh, perceptions altering reality is... is you know, it's, it's really uh, thematically... Uh, consistent game which i appreciate um and also the cast is just incredible like it, it, their dynamic is really funny uh in general the uh there's a very consistent uh theme among all the teenage characters of just having issues with parents which is not a theme explored in a lot of the other Persona games where you will sometimes see the parents but they're not typically like a uh, like you're, you're not seeing like the teenage characters from the perspective of they are slowly trying to break out and define themselves as people but you get more of that in Persona 2 uh, Innocent Sin but yeah, it's, I've been really, I've been having a great time. The sprite work is really nice, actually. Uh, the characters have a lot of animations that give them a lot of character that they wouldn't really match again until Persona 5. Uh, writing's really strong, just in general. Uh, there's the uh, art. Uh, the characters were designed by uh, Kazuma Kanako, who was like the art designer for a lot of the up to PS2 era uh, Shin Megami Tensei's. But the actual like art of them in this game was done by Shikinori Soejima, from, who's done all the character designs since 3. And if you've ever seen Kanako's people, they don't look like they have souls. Um, <laughs> no, it's, which is it's not, all in the eyes. The eyes yeah, are the it's not... It's, which is not to say that they're badly designed. I think he's doing it on purpose, but there is no warmth to them. They do not... It is It is hard to, to treat them like humans. <laughs> and... I mean, Reels, you've played Shin Megami Tensei 3, right? Nocturne? I did not really, no. Uh, let's just say it's appropriate for the, those characters, but yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and like, I, I feel like it was a fundamental acknowledgement of how that style doesn't fit Persona, that they had Soejima go back over the characters for Persona 2. So you still have, like, those designs are still strong, but they have, like, a much more human touch to them from his art. So, I, you know, I've just been loving, like, all of the... All of the wild take faces that they make in Persona 2 that, like, Kanako would never draw characters like that. Oh. Uh, I'm just thinking, like, the cover art for those two games, mm -hmm. where you have the character and then you have, like, a shadow version of themselves with yellow eyes. Mm -hmm. um, like, right behind them is sort of the Persona, and it, Kanako's the art really fits well with that. Mm-hmm. 
But, like, uh, I'm gonna actually take a screen of, like, one of these character, like, ticks that... You, Kanako would never draw this. But it, it gives this character a bit more... Uh, you know, it, it makes them... Despite being wildly cartoony, it makes her feel more human. So let me... Uh, screenshot this so that I can drop it in here. Uh, not like the listeners will be able to tell what I'm getting at, but I want I want you two to at least know. Um, yeah, it's uh. It's uh, it's it's really good. I've been having a lot of fun. Um, it's uh, kind of a probably the darkest Persona game in terms of its actual uh, content, like where where its uh, story actually goes. But it's. You know, it's it's always going to something, which uh, I was. I think I was ranting before the podcast that, like, that's my issue with uh, Persona Three being such a dark game and ending so darkly is that it doesn't feel like it's saying anything. It's just kind of that way because that's how they chose to make it, as opposed to having like. A particularly strong idea of what they wanted it to uh, be saying. But how did I save this screen? Sorry, it's just... computers exist to hurt us. Computers are a tool, and they don't have emotions. And if they're doing something wrong, it's a user error. Why would you say that to me? <laughs> Thought we were friends. <laughs> no, but seriously, computers are evil monsters. I think I've found it. I should be able to drop it in here. But it's it's one of those things where it's just like, yeah, this is a weird face for anyone to make, and it would not have been drawn this way if they had stuck with just having Kanako draw everyone like they did with uh, Persona One. Oh yes, that yeah, face. that is a very anime face. Yeah, yeah, but it, you know, it, she still feels more like a human than uh, a lot of the kinds of character art that Kanako would have drawn. So it, it felt fitting for Persona. But yeah, so I'm playing that, uh, and uh, heartily recommend it. And I was talking with a friend who is also a fan of it. Uh, over the weekend and the reason that I put, moved it up to my priority list was uh, Persona 2 Innocence and Eternal Punishment you, you have to play both of them and you will especially want to play Persona 2 Eternal Punishment after playing uh, after playing Innocence and because it's the ending will, on some level, this like infuriate you, and like it's it's supposed to like it is it is 
trying to draw out the emotions, but the long. So uh, you kind of need space between them, even though the story won't like. The, there was like an eighteen-month uh, release gap between them, I believe, in Japan, and. Like, you don't necessarily need that long, but you you do need some time between them because they're such similar... Like, they're, they're using a lot of the same assets. There's a lot of sort of remixed content between them. And, like, they're, they're by no means the same game, especially plot-wise. They're, uh, and everything that it's doing with, like, reuse of set pieces or assets is like it's it doing something very specifically with them thematically and plot wise but it is still like playing them back to back is maybe more of that gameplay style than anyone needs <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to uh, get that out of uh, to get Persona 2 Innocence in out of the way before uh, Eternal Punishment uh, if that fan translation ever completes before that's uh, out there, so that's is, where I am. Is the original localization of Eternal Punishment not good? No, it's good, but one Eternal Punishment Portable adds like a new scenario that's kind of interesting uh, from a lore perspective if you care about Persona 2's overall plot. Uh. And the other thing is that Persona 2 Eternal Punishment does have a good localization, but it's a lot of its localization is trying to repair the damage done by Persona 1's localization on the PS1 that they're trying to vaguely keep uh, consistent. Like, the most obvious thing is that uh, all of the characters in Persona 1, of course, had their names changed. And, uh, in general, uh, this was to try to make them sound not Japanese. <laughs> and the Persona 2 Eternal Punishment localization tries to sort of split the difference. So they have an English first name and a Japanese last name and are usually referred to by their Japanese last name. <laughs> so you get strangely named characters like Nate Nanjo. Uh... <laughs> Which uh, does mean that they, they threw out one of the strangest... Uh, so, the, the villain of Persona 1 is a guy named uh, Takahisa Kandori. And he, he is vaguely involved in the plot of Persona 2. Uh, he has a... I don't know what they were going for when they, re when they rechristened him for the English version, because... The English version of Persona 1 changed his name from Takahisa Kandori to uh, Guido Sardinia? Eh? I don't know why they decided he needed to sound just, I guess, Italian as shit. I think they were maybe <laughs> trying to localize the idea of like, well, he's got Yakuza connections, so he needs to sound like a mob guy. Kind of sounds like a Pokemon. Kind of... Yeah. But yeah, like Guido Sardinia, like they, they, which meant that they, I think they renamed him in Eternal Punishment to like, like Guido Condori and said Sardinia was like an alias he had taken on for some reason. Because they wanted to, you know, get rid of the odd name and this is the only way they could. 
Yeah, at that point I'd have just said, if you're going to say he took on an alias, just say his real name is Takehisa Kondori. I don't know why you kept the name Guido. Which oh, is where did they get Guido to begin with? It's, and it, it's a very specifically Italian thing. It's often a slur, actually. Yes, that's part of it, yes. I don't know why they thought that that was the part that should be kept. I'm, yeah, I, I, I don't have words. It, it was a... Yeah, they, they were doing their best to repair. Some of the choices are not perfect, but it's like, it's a perfectly fine localization that... Uh, is mostly undone by its need to try to keep in line with uh, Persona 1, Revelations Persona, as opposed to Shin Megami Tensei Persona, or Megami Yudonoku Persona. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I just kind of want to play the PSP version of it as well, so. And uh, my, my Japanese is much too limited to successfully navigate a Persona game. <laughs> But yeah, so so really enjoying that. Uh, I think I've ranted about that for like 15, 20 minutes now. So maybe maybe stop. Uh. Persona. Yeah. Um, do we have any uh, any questions in the Discord? Not that I saw. Let's see. Oh, never mind. Fire Miner did have one. Oh. And uh, sort of related to something he asked here. It's like, did we, last week, did we cover number 29? Do you have any limited edition of the game consoles you, you want to own? Uh, yeah, we did cover that last week. I think that's yep, what it's so Yep, this one is related to that one then. Hmm. Do you particularly care about the color of your consoles? Uh, not terribly. As long as it's not yep. a weird color, I don't care. Yep. What does weird color mean? I don't even know. Just it, it'd have to be—I'd have to see it and then be like, "Wow, that hurts. that just looks like shit." That hurts <laughs> my brain. Okay. So, um, personally, the only time I really cared about the color of a console was when I was ordering a Nintendo DS and the wait time was like a week and a half that and back to 2005 mm -hmm. and I just asked straight up which color was being ordered less <laughs> and it said black and I was like okay I'll order black that makes sense that's a strictly yes. practical reason but yeah yeah and and I got it with got the notification in a week and a half and went to get it and it's all good other than that, I just don't care too much, to be honest. I had a nice porcelain white PS3 for a while until the motor stopped accepting discs. And uh, now I currently have a black PlayStation 3. So, yeah, yeah it's all... Yeah. I'm just going to uh, bring up while I'm vaguely playing Persona 2 while we do this podcast that I appreciate uh, that... Our uh, our wannabe rock star character is bemoaning that there are three women in the party and he's the only one that thought to bring a mirror. <laughs> just likes checking himself out, I guess. So, 
Well, to continue with Fire Miner here, it's like, I usually buy secondhand consoles, and somehow it's always the blue ones that are in the best condition. It seems like not many people like their PS2 or 3DS in ocean blue. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen an ocean blue PS2. I didn't either, but apparently it was not that popular. That would be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that's nice. So, also, I've reached another ninety questions. That's terrifying. But I, we need to apparently go into overdrive, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we're only up to like number thirty out of. Uh, we've done like maybe thirty to forty out of a hundred and thirty right here, and he's yeah. already got a long ass list number three going oh boy oh no i am, I am impressed oh. thank you oh, and, and to continue here and two more of gaijin's books yay yay so going to keep the momentum and finish the second collection please do please do please leave a review or some kind words on amazon i could use all the help i can get <laughs> this is the only thing that pleases the algorithm yeah i mean it's kind of sad i was counting up i've got like um not reviews just ratings total I've got like mm -hmm. 43 over the entire, like 10 ebooks and three paperbacks. Ah, uh, that's rough. Oh no, what's rough is that literally 20% of those is the same anonymous Canadian posting the same one sentence comment. Is it a good On, comment? It, it was a nice comment. It's a five star rating and like a one sentence about how much he likes the story. That's Eight tough. times over the exact same thing. <laughs> Listen, it, every bit helps. <laughs> every bit helps, but I mean, if that if that bit makes it look like I'm faking it, that is a little dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, the annoying thing is that it appears to be genuine, but it certainly doesn't look it. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Oh well. But yeah, good good on you, fire miner. Anyway, shall we? Um, get through a couple more of these questions then sure yes yes because um how far did we get last time did we get through number 30 uh we there's one that we skipped but yeah i think i'll pull up my uh, version because i've been highlighting sit and see i don't remember the one about auden chronicle uh let me check i might have actually briefly gone over that uh Yeah, I'm seeing that 30 is the one that we stopped on. We had answered everything in that before that except the 24, which I think I was worried I would have too much to say about. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I couldn't remember if we had done 24 or not. Yeah. Uh, let's just roll, roll that out of the way, since I think me and we also have opinions on that. Probably not Gaijin. Uh... Just making sure yeah. I'm highlighting the uh, you think FF15 is really the type of game that inspires strong emotions and uh, attachments in the audience, or are the arguments around it happening just because it's a mainline FF title? Uh, I mean, I, I have stayed far out of the arguments. I have that, that is a, a young internet man's game, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I think that uh, certainly I have met people who have very strong attachments to the, like, party in ff15 in particular uh but i mean like I, I think it's a very unique game and like being unique is what causes attachment doesn't have to necessarily be uniquely good but something you couldn't get else did i disappear 
Hello? No, we're here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think being unique is what causes people to form attachments because you're providing something that they couldn't get elsewhere. And I think that FF15 might not always ever have the biggest fandom, but I do think that it's unique enough that it will have a dedicated set of fans who do care a lot about it. Yep, the great fantasy bro trip. Yeah, I mean, there's honestly not a lot of road trip RPGs. Yep. There's a lot of, like, because, like, the, the general setup is traveling. There's a very unique vibe to a road trip. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something. You got any opinion, Fields? Uh, I do not. Sorry, I'm okay. looking at vaccine stuff. Oh, yeah, that's important. Uh, so well, we also scheduling an appointment. Uh, well, that's not really happening at the moment, oh. but I'm attempting to. Yeah, well, we also attempting to schedule an appointment. We'll move on to question 30 then. Uh... I've heard that Apple and Google hired scientists to design their OS interface. I wonder if someone would do that for video game interfaces, or at least use these scientific principles going into their designs. Uh, there's definitely some of that. I mean, like, UX design is a very specific discipline that a lot of places hire for, and I'm sure there are... Like, if you've ever seen, like, an incomplete video game interface, that those things are... Placeholder interfaces are very utilitarian and nothing shipped with them. The yeah. only game I can think of that shipped with a placeholder interface really obviously did because it's Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Oh. But, uh, in, in general... Uh, I was going to say, wasn't Kirby originally a placeholder? Kirby the character was a placeholder. Yeah. Uh, and then they got attached to him. Uh, yeah, they, they couldn't decide what the actual hero was supposed to look like, and so they had this little round ball. Yeah, it's something that you would draw in, like, a minute. <laughs> yeah. Unless uh, you're the head programmer, in which case you just can't draw. Oh, man, everyone... I know we've talked about it, like, a dozen times before. Everyone go look up Programmer or Kirby, because he's incredible. Absolute monster of a creation. Uh, but, yeah, uh... I, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, OS development, like, video game development has gotten expensive. OS development is like a whole other league of project size, so you're never going to get, like, that kind of, uh, because, like, the, the scientific approach is, like, about, like, working out, uh, you like all sorts of data about user habits and where users typically expect things to be and how they expect uh, things to interact when they, you know, touch them or click them, and like that's that's a whole other level of like uh, you can. There's only so to to some extent. There's only so much that you can really screw up a video game interface in terms of like menus and such. And I've seen some wild screw-ups on that, although not as many as I might once have seen. Like, if you want to see real bad menu interfaces that you've never seen, that you'd never see again, go look up, like, PS1-era menus. There's a lot, like, especially the ones from, like, 1995-96, those are horrendous. Uh, but... 
Yeah, in general, uh, there's not the, quite the level of like interaction or radical thinking necessary uh, for that. So, uh, yeah, I would. Uh, there, there's definitely positions that utilize this kind of like uh, UI research in principle, but like it when a lot of it would not actually be applicable and really expensive. This one might be something Gaijin knows better than not. It's mm-hmm. but uh thirty one. Is there any Japanese games about dealing with cults? Outside of some really crazy stuff in the Shimigami Tensei series? Yeah, I think I think Persona 2 might actually have some cults in it. I'm gonna say um, the let's see, let's see, Shin Megami Tensei one and two both had the Gaia cult and the Messiah cult, yeah. which were interesting. But the first thing that really comes to mind for me is Earthbound. Oh yeah, the, the Happy Happy cult. Yeah, because that is like a dedicated parody of some of the new religions in Japan. Yeah, some of which got. Some of which broke real bad after a while, but... <laughs> well, I mean, Shin, Shin Om... Um, was it? The, the Supreme Om cult was a criminal organization from the beginning, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh... It's the Om Shinrikyo, that's what I was trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that that's one where um, it made it really easy to tell which humans were enemies in that game, because they all had their faces painted blue. Mm-hmm. Which is also kind of a an anime shorthand for ghostly possession. Yeah. Uh, uh, Persona Two kind of is built around like essentially a cult formation. Uh, you see a lot of people going to like these weird secret meetings for like the masked circle. But. Uh, 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 it's 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 a very uh, sort of integral part of the plot, uh, and then of course Yakuza, since it was doing in Yakuza Zero, they did like the cult that since they were in the eighties, it's like well now we're about the formation of cults. So like there's a there's a big si- side quest that uh, kind of became famous on the internet for one of the like worst puns in the English localization. Oh dear, that's a tall order. Uh, let's see. Uh, basically, uh, there is a point where Majima like infiltrates this cult to try to stop it. Uh, like he's trying to get someone out of it, as I recall. But basically, uh, one of the things that you can do when you're trying to fish out a reaction of the person you're looking for is it'll one of your dialogue options will be tell a joke and Majima just like thinks for a second and says uh want to avoid dangerous cults practice safe sex (laughs) and the the person he says it to just doesn't register at all and he's just like come on I'm dying here it took me a minute to think that one up uh, it's it's a baffling, horrendous punt to make off the top of your head. Uh, but yeah, like that that 
that place turns out to be like a sort of like your traditional weird sex cult. Hmm. Uh, say what? Uh, oh, I was just trying to think of some more examples. Yeah, but yeah, like they they kind of they're very much like a a sort of Japanese uh, cult vibe. As, as would sense. Yeah. Um, let's see what else here. Dragon Quest V had a uh, had a cult as or made church slash cult as one of its primary or secondary major plots. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't. Quite, I mean, it's been a long time since I played. I don't quite remember what happened, and it was not included in the movie version mm-hmm. for space reasons. There's obviously. a lot of. Uh like less observed uh like I, I i'm trying to describe this but like there's a lot of games that uh turn out to be uh god is evil tend to have like some small version of this like uh evil cult vibe to them even mm-hmm. though they're often much more established churches in those games yeah no, but I mean in Dragon Quest V, it was literally it was a group of monsters working for the head enemy of the game, yeah. who were brainwashing people and stealing people. Mm-hmm. So, what else? Anything else um, that would actually count as a cult? Uh, Secret of Mana, the guys in the ruins. But you don't really see a lot of cultish stuff. It just kind of gets described as it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what was I thinking of? One other. Oh. Are you thinking of anything, Wheels? No. No. Oh, there was one other. Okay, I'm drawing a blank again. Okay. Yeah. These show up sort of like in the background. I think there's not a lot of appetite to make them the primary force of a lot of these stories because, like, you could end up some combination of depressing and offensive. So, yeah. Plus, I mean, at least back in the late '90s, the Jet um, Japan was really big into the occult. Yeah. As a fad, I mean, you can see that all over the first couple uh, volumes of Sergeant Frog. <laughs> it's like one of the defining elements of the main character's personality. Huh. And it was based on this cultural phenomenon in the late 90s. I hadn't noticed, I hadn't known about that, but that ties together some things that I have observed but never realized that there was like a, what the common source was, but yeah. I mean, that's where, that's why Engelmois, uh from the predictions of Nostradamus ended up being a character in Sergeant Frog. Uh explain some things. Uh, it's also why the same section of Nostradamus ended up um, inspiring one of the major optional bosses for the Wild Arms series. Is this, uh, which one is this? Anglemore? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, things like that. and um, But yeah, if you just keep watching through Sergeant Frog, it's... Um, the, the main character is very much involved in the occult scene as a like a hobby in Japan and usually yeah. trying to debunk it or investigate it. Just like this obsession with like understanding it. <laughs> yes. 
I want to believe and all that. Yeah. I mean, America definitely has uh, periods where we flirt with that as well. I mean, yeah. say we still are. Uh, oh, fun, fun article I read recently. It was, it had a quote from the editor-in-chief of Japan's primary conspiracy theory magazine. Yeah. Saying that the main reason that QAnon never got popular in Japan was just because it didn't, it did not suit their jaded sensibilities when it came to conspiracy theories. Not wild enough. <laughs> it just wasn't very well constructed, apparently. <laughs> this isn't interesting at all. Yeah. Atlanta, it's like, no, I mean, seriously, dude, seriously, no. I mean, when the Japanese conspiracy um, theory scene just says, no, dudes, this is idiotic. Yeah, that's uh, taking a huge L there. This also I just think it's funny that the that the Japanese are just that jaded about it. <laughs> yeah. This does explain one thing that I was, like, always sort of unclear on, which is, like, uh, FF8, for whatever reason, like, there's a handful of magazines in the game, and most of them are fairly obvious what their utility is, because it's like Pet Pals gives uh, Renault on new limit breaks, Combat Kings tells you how to make new weapons, and then you get a cult fan that's yep. just about cults and UFOs and Bigfoot shit. <laughs> Hey, the UFOs do actually show up in the game, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, UFOs show up in the game, but I was like, I was always confused as to like, why, why is this one of the three magazines in this game? Because that was very much part of the zitgeist when the game was made. Yep. And it's like, oh, that slides into place. Yep. I mean, just like alien, I mean, alien abductions and things, it's part of the same phenomenon in Japan, which is how you end up with games like Choco Vader. Or Sergeant Frog again, because Sergeant Frog was heavily based on that. Yeah, yeah. They're not actually frogs, they're from space. It's all a lie. No, I like the fact that it's like, it's not just one alien civilization trying to conquer Earth. It's like three dozen, and they're having a small competition, and they use it as target practice. So, yeah. Okay. Um... Yeah. Yeah, cults, cults. It's, uh, let's see. I guess we can move to another one, which is a question a century tailor made for me. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is 32. Which kind of disaster would you like to see in the next disaster report? Hey, I was just I just looked those up earlier to see what they were, but it's like like one earthquake causing the collapse of a city, of an artificial city. Yeah. One. One torrential rain pour or downpour threatening to flood out a, a town. One earthquake causes the collapse of a subway tunnel and you're trying to escape. And the last one was also an earthquake tsunami combination, but by very bad luck, their initial release date was the day before the Tohoku earthquake happened. Yeah, Disaster Report 4 got like a huge, huge, huge delay. Well, they they canceled the, the original release date for development yeah, reasons yeah. and then the earthquake happened and then they cancelled it Yeah, and then they revived it three years ago <laughs> yeah it was revived on the basis this was interesting to me like the, the developers who like IREM used the Tohoku earthquake as like no we're just done with game development we don't want to deal with this shit anymore uh, mm -hmm. but they sold off all of their like game development IP to a successor company Granzella 
who were like, we want to keep making games. And they're like, fine, you can take the game IP. They'll let you have those. Uh, and all the but, assets too, which is good. Yeah, but basically, the the reason part of the reason they were passionate about releasing uh, Disaster Report Four was that, according to the director on the game, basically they got uh, essentially uh, letters from people that was basically like, yeah, the my experience playing Disaster Report helped keep me calm while when the earthquake was happening. Ooh, that's nice. So it's like, well, now this seems like something that it's just responsible to make. So, yeah, like that was that was kind of the thought process. Like, Disaster Report, if you've never played it, is a really fascinating thing because it's like uh, making essentially a horror game with, like, no combat and no real enemies for the most part. It and is like, a survival disaster game. Yeah, and it's really unique. Nothing else has ever really done it, and I love it. Uh, I feel like a typhoon would be an interesting one. And they yeah, kind that's... of did that with two. Yeah. But, uh... Definitely be short-term. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, typhoon, flooding, and earthquake are the major ones to have in Japan. Like, those are the things that happen in Japan. Uh, forest fire. Oh, that could be interesting. Uh, volcanic, uh, volcanic disaster. Uh, set it in the Midwest and have tornadoes all over the place. Yeah, tornadoes would be interesting. You'd have to move it out of Japan, which I'm not sure they'd be willing to do, but... Yeah, I think the last major tornado that happened in Japan was Saga Prefecture about, um... Oh, it was 2004, so 17 years ago. Destroyed 200 ha houses. Dang. Yeah, and everyone was quite surprised. They are like, what the hell just happened? Yeah... Part of the advantage of using, like, an earthquake or a typhoon is that you get, like... And part of the reason they set the they do things like, oh, this is on a big artificial city, is that, like, you can do, like, these massive shifts to the environmental structure that's hard to do with other types of disasters. Well, uh, if you get a big enough storm with, like, 15 tornadoes going through... Yeah, um, yeah. Trust me, there will be a shift to the local topography. Yeah. <sighs> But yeah, that would be interesting to see as well. But really, I just want to see more Disaster Report. I think those games are... Uh, again, none of them are perfect, but they're all really interesting and nothing else plays like them. Hmm. Let's see what else. Nothing else comes to mind that wouldn't involve a massive shift over into science fiction. Yeah, like, you run into things that, like, the only thing that would cause this to happen is someone making it happen. Uh, I mean, granted, the very first game, that was kind of what happened. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, like, it, it needed the uh, core of, like, well, it doesn't... It didn't have to be something immediately, obviously, constructed intentionally. Yeah. I mean, also the fact that it was an artificial island in the middle of the ocean that was apparently designed to like as a commentary on some of those little rocks that they lay claim to just so they can claim the area yeah yeah it does remind me that disaster report one's dub is awful but in the best way and it has uh one of my favorite like baffling line reads ever which mm -hmm. is just uh the um there's like a news reporter character 
uh, who just... I can't remember what context he says this in, but he just says, I have to stay alive and write this article before I die. And it's... it's his line read is so weird. Let me see if I can pull this up. There's a... Oh, uh, man, this, this website is very... Uh, odds. Uh, it should have... It doesn't help that the the res it doesn't help that the immediate response to I have to stay alive and write this article before I die is okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. Should I have to stay alive and write this article before I die? Okay. Okay. But yeah, really, really good, bad dub. Uh, Raw Danger, the second Disaster Report game's official localization, has one of my favorite bad attempts to hide that all the characters are ethnically Japanese. Because mm -hmm. they, just, they just took the character models and made all of them blonde and made no other changes. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why they did that. It sucks. Um... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love Disaster Report. Thanks for asking about a fire miner. I just like thinking about it. I uh, wonder if anyone's fan translated the third game. We've gotten one, two, and four, but not three. Uh, I'm sure somebody has. I'd like it to happen. It's a PSP game. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, number 34. If Square Enix makes a new mana game, which feature, gimmick, etc. from other action RPGs should they steal? I'm not sure if they need to. Yeah, I think that one of the things I liked about the remake of Trials of Mana is that it had carved out, uh, just in general, the a feel for modern mana combat that actually feels good, which hadn't really been the case. I would honestly rather they just stole some gimmicks from, like, I don't want them to remake Legend of Mana, but I'd like them to steal gimmicks from it. Mm. <laughs> I just remembered Legend of Mana's coming back. Isn't that great? It's pretty great. Yes. Hey, Wheel's back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have an appointment in July, so I'm still, but I'm still searching for something sooner. Obviously. Seeing if you can get something sooner, I don't blame you. Yeah. So I'm still trying to find any confirmation that the Saga Frontier Physical Edition actually exists. It does. It definitely does. It only exists apparently in the Southeast Asian market. Yes. Think Very happened, common. I think that happened with the Romancing Saga edition as well. Um, no, I mean, it does not exist in the Japanese market. Like, there isn't yeah. even a Japanese physical that's for some reason. Weird. Yeah, that, that's the part that's making me kind of go, huh? Especially since um, they had to update it to say, no, the PlayStation 4 release is not actually ha going to happen. <laughs> Wait, what? That was an update a, couple, a while back. Um let me see oh, here. Is there going to be a physical PS4 release? Or... Yeah. Huh. Saga Frontier Remastered at Asia Exclusive Physical Release. Now open for pre order. Let's see here. Update March 11th. Uh, PlayStation 4 version has been cancelled. Wow. Nintendo Switch version is still open for pre order. 
Very odd. Update March 12th. Physical release will be May 31st. Hmm. Um, digital is April 15th or 16th. Yeah. Platform. And I'm just like, okay, why is this only through Play Asia, or at least the Southeast Asia version? I mean, I would imagine that there's like a degree of obligation to do that in Southeast Asia, because like I don't know how well the online stores are supported there. But why do it only in that market and not in Japan? Yeah, because like I feel like there's got to be hardcore enough Saga fans in Japan to buy a physical copy. There's hardcore enough Saga fans in this country to have amateur college concerts based on songs from Romancing Saga. Yeah, so it's weird that they wouldn't like do at least a run of them. Yes, and that's what I'm looking for, and I can't find it anywhere. It just, it does not exist in this country, and that is really, really weird. Yes, and it's kind of concerning, to be honest. So it's going to be harder for you to play, actually. Hmm. No, I mean, I could just um, get one from uh, Play Asia, but at the same time, it's like delaying a month and a half to get it. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I'm I'm worried at this point that I'm going to end up buying both the physical and digital. Welcome to my world. <laughs> I don't, don't like it here. It's scary. <laughs> it's kind of stupid here, but it satisfies all the weird centers of your brain. Hmm. Uh... Did you did you have any answer to the last question, Wheels? What was the last question again? If Square Enix makes a Numana game, which feature, gimmick, etc. from other action RPG titles would you like them to steal? Um, I can't really think of any gimmick. Um, I don't know. Just look at East and... Just remember that being that. fast is good. Uh, steal the multiplayer mode from the PC version of E7. There you go. Was that official or a mod? It's uh, official-ish. It's on the Steam Workshop page. <laughs> it's a thing? I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, do we want to eulogize the PS3 and Vita... ESN stores. Rip. Alas, poor stores, I hardly knew you. Yeah, At least uh, they said you can still download stuff. You can re-download things that you already own, which is important. Though I'm not really buying that that's going to last for that no. long into the foreseeable future. What's sad is all the Vita developers who have been informed that the, um, that the e-store is closing at the same time as everyone else. Yeah, I saw that. It was just like, guys, you basically just might as well have stomped on all the indie developers that were basically the lifeblood of the Vita the entire time. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't... I don't know why. 
Sony play. Uh, oh well. Uh, but yeah, just wanted to mark its passing. Uh, let's see. Uh, Um, otherwise, let's see. Moving on to another question. Uh, besides the AAA releases, which upcoming Western RPG are you looking forward to? I, I don't keep my finger on the pulse of like indie Western RPGs, sadly, so I don't know. <laughs> Does Z-Boyd count? Yeah, I would say Z-Boy counts. Uh, that Magical Girl RPG they've been working on could be pretty fun. Oh, I forgot they announced something. Yeah. Uh, a new blue reflection? Oh, z Void. Yeah, z Void. There is a new blue reflection for some reason, but... Yeah, two new ones, actually, I think. Yeah, I think one of them's a cell phone game, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, z Void, like, I, I just... It's it's really hard to keep track of the indie market if you're not fully committed to it, and I am not, so. <laughs> yeah. But no no uh major comment there, sadly. Um Be a quick one. Do you think we will ever get a remaster of Final Fantasy My Life as a King now that WiiWare is gone? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to uh... see like all of those like WiiWare games come back. I don't think they will. Uh, but I don't know. People seem to like My Life as a King and to a lesser extent My Life as a Dark Lord. Uh, uh, I don't think that Square felt very... I don't think Square thought they did as well as they would have liked, so I think they've been basically internally memory hold. Mm -hmm. uh. Okay, anything else? Oh, let's see. Did we skip one? Number 33? Let's see. Oh, yeah, I must have marked that without actually saying it. Uh, number 33. Uh, would you play a vehicular combat spinoff of Metal Max? Not if it was using the actual vehicle controls from Metal Max Xeno Reborn. Let's assume that it isn't. Let's yeah. assume that it's, like, a competently designed video game. Uh, well, then that could get really weird really fast, depending on what options they keep in from the other games. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm not huge on vehicle combat to begin with, yeah. but I'd probably give it a look. Yeah. It was like one of my favorite things to do in Metal Max 4 was um, there was a, a ship enemy that will attack you if it, com if it comes within range of you. You don't actually have to move. Mm -hmm. So it's possible to... Um, it's like you take this little meter-made motor scooter, strip it down to um, like as few item or as little equipment as possible, just a massive engine and then load it up with armored plates. So it's like got 10,000 hit points, basically. Mm -hmm. And then get over to where it's where you're um, going to be encountering this ship as it comes by. And before it arrives, take from your um, 
you can have a fourth car that you drag behind that just carries stuff and it kind of ignores all weight um, weight penalties. Mm-hmm. So I had a uh, a Shinwa Mark 13 railgun that was it was a, like a 100 ton weight on that thing. So m- most of the cars couldn't carry it without going heavy overweight and not being able to have any armor. Um, but if you just swap it in for something that is already in place and is fully armored, you can't move it. You can't move the car away anymore, but you keep the armor mm-hmm. as long as you don't try to move. And then just have everybody pile into that one car, and you're you basically you've got three people in a meter made motor scooter that is nearly indestructible and has a 100 meter rail gun mm-hmm. attached. Sure. Yes, why not? And it's a long-range, um, long-range weapon, which is good because that's the only thing that can hit the enemy in that battle. And you can have all of your characters using it at once. Sure. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, let's just do this battle by howitzer. Yes. Naturally. Yeah. That's the that's the kind of insanity I kind of miss from the most recent games. Yeah, hopefully. Naming your game Mellow Max Wild West implies a recommitment to insanity. Yes, we can only hope. Because I will be buying that when it comes out, and I'm probably going to regret it. We don't want it to be something you regret, but... Yes. Can't trust it. Well, I mean, what, what just... with Wild West and the name ever went wrong? Come on now. Um, I'll introduce you to a movie with Will Smith. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it. Listen, that was way weirder than Metal Maxino, so I'm <laughs> actually in favor of it being more like Wild Wild West if we gotta be. Good point. That is a very good point. Well, the movie Wild Wild West was actually a bit closer to what the series should have been. <laughs> Listen, if Metal Maxino Reborn let, let me have a share of fight a big mechanical spider... <laughs> Which, honestly, that would be completely in keeping with the series. Yeah, no, that would be perfectly yeah. fitting. I want that to be a boss in Metal, Metal Max Wild West. Well, I mean, Zeno did have a spider bot tank that you could use. Yeah, it needs... It lacks that certain genre of mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I forgot that it's April Fool's Day in Japan, which means... Uh, oh, I haven't checked that crazy stuff yet. It's evil. Evil day. Which means that I have to, like, be double double check every Japanese announcement. Oh, oh no, the Japanese tend to go for really bizarre, funny stuff. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, at the very top of the page for Dengeki, they've got a, uh, a wrap-up for everything that they found so far. Yeah. I saw one that was like, I'm not sure if this is real, but... Maybe. Uh, apparently, Platinum Games announced a shoot 'em up. Let's uh, see. I fired up Overwatch earlier, and all the characters had googly eyes. Let's see. Um, okay, so uh, supposedly, um, the smartphone game company Coropla has announced an energy drink tie-in to its game Addis Gear Aegis. <laughs> With the tagline, to win the game. 
So apparently, here. Uh, Fate, let's see, uh, Fate Grand Order Arcade. Oh, has boy. something silly going on. Oh, this is all items. Okay. So apparently, this shoot 'em up was their April Fool's joke last year. But then this year, they've just, like, put out another trailer for it. But instead of, like, doing an April Fool's thing, it's just the last thing in the trailer is just now in development. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, Caligula 2 has announced a new playable character called Devil Mammoth, which is a yellow headed mammoth with devil horns. The part mm. of me is still shocked that Caligula Effect 2 is happening. Yes. Not just happening, already confirmed to be localized. Mm hmm. And, um,. <laughs> okay, uh, Momotaro Dentetsu. There's a there's an opening scene with the train going across the countryside with the cherry blossoms and Mount Fuji in the background. And so they've set up, so Konami has set up a billboard, like a uh, roadside board, with this image on it. In the exact same spot where, so if you stand back a little bit, it fits the background, the actual scenery. Hmm. Let's see if I got the... Here we go. Yeah, you can see that just in the preview. Aha! <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> yeah, and it's... Yeah, it just... it It's the exact spot in real Japan where this scene would have been. <laughs> that is very cute. Let's see, uh... Daihatsu has produced an, a guinea pig car. Sure. <laughs> not not a guinea not a car for guinea pigs. An actual car with a giant plush guinea pig. Huh. I was concerned that it was a car made out of a giant guinea pig. No, I, I mean that's I mean that is effectively what it is here. Um, no. One moment. <sighs> It is a guinea pig shaped car. In plush. That's terrifying. Oh, uh, what else we got in here? Okay, it's like limited silly missions. Uh, anything. Bob and Bob from Bubble Bobble. I love those guys. Not quite sure what's going on here, but they've got a lot of pictures of Bub and Bob in plush. Oh, Bub and Bob are adorable. Yeah. Yeah, nothing too way out there yet. Uh, let's see. Now, a lot of it's just random, like, silly items for different online games. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, oh, something from Honda to 
go here. What's here? Super Kaboot. <laughs> what in the world? Apparently Honda did a commercial for their motor scooter line and showing them being grown organically. <laughs> because Super Cub is, I think, the name of the, the mini scooter line and Kabu in Japanese is Turnip. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. That one's a commercial. Something from Near Replicant. Yeah, it's some sort of April Fool's trailer. Yeah. See some crossover events. Yeah, not nothing too ridiculous this time. Uh, Valorant. New game is a dating sim. Okay. Okay, there we go. Valorant, Agents of Romance. <laughs> Like you do. Yeah. There's like finally something that was reasonably silly. Mm. My only silly thing this year is that game impression. <laughs> so. That's not an April Fool's, though. Yeah, but I can use it as an excuse to get away with some much more uh, informal language than I should normally use for an impression. Hooray! <laughs> Like the one two years ago where I basically did a review of Darkest Dungeon from the point of view of somebody having a Lovecraftian mental breakdown. Always good to have a chance to stretch your writing in a different direction. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just the uh, pages torn from an icker-soaked game review. <laughs> you remember that one, Wheels? I do. That was a good one. Yeah. Especially when I started ranting in random Cthulhu language at the end and it went, yeah, yeah, there will even, there shall even be a sequel. <laughs> Which hasn't happened yet, has it? It's in development. There's an announcement of a Darkest Dungeon. Yeah, too. that's definitely in the works. <laughs> okay, here's one that you wouldn't get unless you're a big fan of Dino Daibokan. <laughs> but it's, uh, let's see. Dragon Quest um, Delorine's Adventure. And uh, Delorine is a character who is dressed like the hero. Ah. Uh, if you've seen, if you've read the first volume of the manga or seen the very first episode of the anime, you know exactly which characters I'm talking about. But they're the ones that are basically a parody of the Dragon Quest II heroes. <laughs> and so... Um, Square has announced a, or you know, the Dragon Quest official Twitter has announced an anime based on that group of not actually heroes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd watch that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. You know, save this one for Platinum and anyone else I know who's a big. Oh fan yeah, Platinum will get a huge kick out of that. Yeah, there we go. You know, I'm just going to go to Twitter and Facebook right now and start saving it. Make yeah. sure everyone knows. Let's see.
Okay. Oh, any anything else good here? Higarashi no Nakakoroni. Higarashi when they cry uh, with a new episode set in Hello Kitty Land. <laughs> that would be quite yeah. a change of pace. <laughs> yes. You know, just keep going down through here. and Again, most of it is just not really that interesting outside of a very dedicated fan base or anyone who's just willing to shill out for special event stuff. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and Mount Rainier Coffee has announced a new um, new design for Cafe Latte with a cat on it. Apparently they have declared a cat to be their company president. You know what? Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it for today, starting from about 1 a.m. this morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well... Unfortunately, my, my best April Fool's joke idea I already used up a couple years ago. At least you got the chance to fire your shot. Yeah. You, um, you remember that one? Um, after 17 years, Squaresoft and Enix call off their long-running April Fool's joke. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that, was a, that was a good one. Yeah. Then a, a long statement saying, you know, guys, we really didn't expect it to last this long, but... Every, no matter what ridiculous concept we pitched, everyone was like, we'll buy it. And it's like, okay, but seriously? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Wheels, did you ever do any good ones for the site, April Fools? Not really. I can never come up with anything clever. Yep. I had one that I always wanted to do, but the time is over a decade past now. Mm. It was just, um, like, if back in like 2008, 2009, we did a like a update saying, "Say Adrian Den Uden has been relieved from his post of, re of reviewer due to a marked decline in site traffic every time he publishes a review," <laughs> <laughs> which would make a whole lot more sense if this was back in the time where it was still a meme to say on GameFAQs that you don't read reviews by Adrian Den Uden. <laughs> Just because some people got really butt hurt over one of those Star Ocean reviews. God. <laughs> what a bad game. Um... Yes. So many people willing to defend it, even though it was like a month, like, not a month, but a bit before it was even released. There's no way that this game can be trash. I won't believe it. Yeah. Nowadays, I don't think anyone, I, I think very few people have kind words to say about the last hope. I've met people who like it, but they're very much the minority at this point. Probably not yeah. a lot of the same people who were saying that at the time. Okay, and here's my other resident DQ fanatic here. So. Okay. Okay. Hope she appreciates that one. Okay. <laughs>
I'm pretty sure she knows enough Japanese to be able to read it properly. <laughs> Maybe you get a excuse to brush up, if not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to make her mad at me. She's currently my consultant for Italian language material in this current writing project. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm just also playing Persona 2 right now. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. And going back through the tabs and, oh, wait a minute, here's my sales, uh, my uh, sales dashboard for Amazon. Okay, let's just close this. This is getting depressing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? It's... Okay, it's... Let's see right here. Um... Do you, either of you guys play Diablo? Yes. Or no. Okay, then wheels for you. How multiplayer-focused could Di Diablo be... Um, Diablo 4 be? Couldn't Blizzard just make an um, M, uh, an MMO di Diablo? Hmm. From like a business perspective, I'll say I don't think there's an appetite to do that. Yeah. I, think yeah, I was they're... gonna say probably probably not MMO, but maybe MOBA. Oh god. Uh, why? Why would you hurt my soul? I feel like at this point they'd probably try to avoid rocking the boat too much with the thing that they're calling Diablo Four. Yeah. Like, I could see them maybe spinning off Diablo again, but, like... I, I was thinking got... mainly a spin-off. Yeah. But I, I feel like Diablo 4 is going to try to be, like, a fairly meat-and-potatoes Diablo rather than do anything too out there, because otherwise they might get yelled at. <laughs> I can just imagine it now. Diablo Arena of the Demon Lord or something like no, that. Oh, stop. Yeah, you've got, like, a, literally a million different dead warriors in hell all fighting to get out. Uh... Oh, you know what they could do? Make a card game. Oh. Now we're talking. I mean, I don't care, actually, because I don't care about Diablo, but I don't want Wheels to be playing another card game. Yes. Another Blizzard card game. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, then, okay, different question. Which RPG is often considered to be a classic, but you wouldn't recommend anyone playing? Hmm... I was just asking for nuclear takes. Um, well, I think some people call Final Fantasy VIII a classic, and I wouldn't recommend anyone plays that. Uh, that. That one's under heavy debate at all times. I was going to say, when was that ever actually considered a classic beyond having the Final Fantasy name? Some I've definitely met whatever. people that adore FF8. Yeah. But it's, it's but even, not... even its biggest fans are going to admit that it, it has issues that rub people the wrong way sometimes. Oh, yeah. Be yeah. surprised. Well, yes, there is the one percent of one percent of every group like that. But yes, um, but if you're going to have it being called a classic, especially considered to be classic, it means that more than like zero point zero one percent of the gaming population thinks so. Yeah, I mean, like if if we were able to take that route, I would probably say Chrono Cross. But yeah, uh, I think there are more ardent defenders of Chrono Cross, though. So yeah. Um, it's not a lot of these that I really actively dislike. Yeah, really. Uh, like if we're if we're getting into like some really like tenuous definitions, 
it's really hard to recommend some of the early Shin Megami Tensei games. Yeah. Massively. Massively difficult. Yeah. Like they're they're really conceptually interesting, but like actually playing them is miserable. So that, that would probably be my immediate answer. And it would probably be a pretty accurate one. It's like uh, I think we, we officially got a Shin Megami Tensei lo one localization once as like an iOS exclusive. I've never played it, but like by all accounts, it was just like, oh, this is nice, but oh god, ah, uh, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not to actually play. That was about. My yeah, they needed a quality of life upgrade to like a complete reboot. Yeah, I think like the later like re-releases on like GBA like tried to make minor tinkerings to make it more palatable, but like that game just needs to be completely uh, top to bottom. So is this gonna yeah. be my reaction to Nocturne when I fire up the? No, Nocturne plays okay. Okay. Nocturne is what we wanted to be remade as. Gotcha. Yeah, like that's that's kind of the the basis of. Because, I mean, Nocturne's what introduces press turns, which okay. should give you some idea of how it functions. But... Yeah, the the original games didn't level up demons. Yeah, like, that was how they tried to influence you to fuse demons, was just, they don't, they can't improve. <laughs> it's well, your level harsh. that determines how strong a demon you can get. So, you just have to keep upgrading. Yeah, uh, it's sort of like, it's it's not as... Uh, it's not as like obnoxious a system as like Shin Megami Tensei if but they're both trying like to solve the too. same problem in bad ways yeah. if you don't know how Shin Megami Tensei if works uh, keep it that way it's obnoxious It, at least it acknowledges that you're going to die a lot. Oh, yeah. You have to die sometimes, or else you won't get better. Uh, but you have to make sure that you gave it your all before you died, or else you might actually get something worse than what you had before. <laughs> yep. Might get downgraded. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that hard to keep everything up. Yeah, it's just one of those things, like, I have, like, a philosophical distaste for a game that responds to a player struggling by getting harder. Hmm. But, I mean, that's yeah. the just the persona for the character. Their actual levels don't go down or anything. Yeah, but their persona is just some stat really boosts important. too. So, and it's more likely that you'll regain up the next time you die. Yeah. It's a weird system. It's a really weird system. It's kind of unpleasant to actually interact with. I mean, it was like the original concept yeah. of persona. Yeah, they, you know, there was a lot to work through, and it took a while to really work out how to make that system satisfying, but... Yeah, I, I would just basically say, uh, any, like, Super Nintendo-era SMT would be what my immediate answer would be. Classics, very important, absolute miserable slogs to play. <laughs> Oh, Demon Souls. Um, Throw that on that list. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. that would probably count as a classic. 
Yeah, people people definitely love that, and it it is a mild nuclear take to say don't bother playing it, but. Well, I mean, it's important because it established all that stuff, and there are some unique elements to it, but on the whole, you're just playing a bad version of, like, a ton of much better games. Much better games that often came after it, but... Yeah. I mean, there. yeah. Like, that that can be the danger of being a trailblazer. It's just like, well, everything that did this afterwards was better, and you're only interesting as a curio now. Yeah. Okay, well, in that vein, I'm going to go with Atelier Marie. Hmm. Just from from Gus's Atelier series, because that one is classic in that it literally set the classification for its genre. Yeah. So, and I that's one of the things I've remarked about it on the reviews, just like, you can't, you don't get many games that can actually say that they redefined what their subgenre was meant to be like. Yeah. It's just, it's still not that good a game in that genre, especially nowadays, but it was definitely something noteworthy at the time. Yeah. But it's proof that it, it spawned a genre, that uh, that it's such a weak example of it by virtue of the fact that, that means that people really found things to add to and dig into this, like, concept. I mean, it's, I mean, it didn't exactly spawn the genre, because there were Meister games before that, they just weren't necessarily... RPG Meister games. So it's, it's more the fusion of genres that it helped pioneer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, very important game. Yes. Definitely a classic. Hard to play. <laughs> uh. uh... I think my brain is starting to fry, so I might be done with questions for now. But... Unless there's something where one of us is itching to respond to. Mm. Are there any questions about Monster Hunter? Uh, I haven't looked yet, but you know what? Just for you, I will do a find here. Oh, come on. That's not what I meant to do. Okay. Monster Hunter. Nothing. Then 130 questions, nothing. Hmm. Fair enough. Uh, I want us to get through around 40, and the next two questions are nice and related, so... Okay, go for it. Uh, not related to anything we've been talking about. They're just both related to each other. Uh, had the golden age of Western RPGs not faded into the 1990s, would we see more representation of the genre on fourth and fifth generation consoles? I believe that represents the uh, Super Nintendo and PlayStation eras. They're really hard to translate onto those consoles. Yeah, there were a lot of control issues. Yeah, like it's just really hard to make them function properly, which is, I think, the bigger issue. It's like, I mean, there were attempts to bring, like, later ones. Like, there is an abortive attempt at a Baldur's Gate 1 port to PS1 that just didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, uh, part of what made JRPGs what they are is the fact that they were adapted for development on consoles, whereas Western yeah. RPGs were mostly adapted for development on computer, if not just pe um, pen, paper, and dice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just one of those things that's like... You know, 
I, I, don't, I don't think that there would have been much console representation until there was a drive from the developers to simplify their interfaces, which is what ultimately caused them to things like Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic and Morrowind and like ultimately things like Mass Effect and Dragon Age to become popular among console players. Because uh, it's just it's just really hard to make those work. They're built around having like a bazillion buttons and a cursor as your interface. Uh, and the related question that said just how long how big was the golden age of western rpgs is everybody playing ultima wizardry might and magic in the gold box games i don't think pcs were that common no. is the thing it took a while like the because those things heydays like the games you're talking about those things heydays was the 80s mm -hmm. and like some of those games were appearing on uh, things that were not what we would describe as a IBM PC uh, derivative. Uh, like some of the Ultimate games and Wizardry games and all those were appearing on like the Commodore 64. But like you, you have to put into perspective uh, what PC sales were at the time. Uh, so like uh, the Commodore 64 is reputed to be, at least in America, the single best-selling model of computer ever. Hmm. And the high-end estimate for it is 17 million units. And so, like, and, and you know, there weren't other, like, Commodore 64 compatibles. Like, it was just, you, you bought a Commodore 64 if you wanted to play Commodore 64 software. And like the, this, this fractious market that makes it hard to speak about PC gaming in general. Uh, but uh, like, what did the uh, the SSI Gold Box games actually come out on? Were they specific to only IBM PC derivatives? I mean, they're, around that time, everything was eventually remade for everything. Yeah, but I looking mean, I, at like. Okay. I mean, I had some old comic books that had advertisements for Mario Brothers from, like, 1985 or so yeah. for eight or nine different consoles. Yeah. But to look at this another way, so the SSI Goldbox games were 1988 and 1992, basically. And they only showed up on uh, things like Amiga, Apple II... Macintosh, Atari ST, C64, DOS, like, they, they showed up on a lot of things, but, like, what counted as a huge success on PC was very different from what was counting as a huge success on consoles at the time. Like, I'm, I'm trying to get, like, an idea of what something like Eye of the Beholder might have actually sold, or Wizardry, or anything like that. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, I think I think it was always just an impassioned niche rather than a uh, general uh, like a huge like quote unquote mainstream success. Uh, so like looking at it another way, uh, what sales numbers I can find for Eye of the Beholder? 
uh, which is one of the SSI gold box games. Uh, worldwide, about 150,000 copies of Eye of the Beholder were sold. Yikes. Hmm. Which, for what they for what they budgeted for it, you know, incredible. Like did it did a great job of recouping its budget. Uh, came out on everything. There is a Super Nintendo version of I Have the Boulder. Uh, I remember that. I used to have that. But uh, that number, like to put it into perspective, uh, people people knew that the NES was serious business when The Legend of Zelda sold over a million copies. It's it's esti- the estimation I'm seeing is that over its lifetime, which is to say. Uh, over the course of like five years, uh, I have the beholder may have cracked three hundred thousand units. <laughs> so it's one of those things like there was definitely a very hardcore fandom that loved these games, but I don't think that they were ever a like mainstream success the way that console games were. Like to to put it another way. Uh, like um, uh, like 150,000 units sold is honestly probably close to what Earthbound ultimately sold and that was considered a huge failure so yeah it's just one of those things like it was it was always a case of how perspective modifies uh, what was expected of these games. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, people who cared a lot about games were obviously playing Ultima and Wizardry and like, that's why there's so much Ultima and Wizardry still DNA that can be found in the uh, JRPG, but you know, like mainstream success, not so much. Yeah, that gets us through question forty. And, uh, we also apparently answered question forty-one at some point. I think I wanted yeah, to just wrap a couple months ago. Time. I think. Yeah. I, I just picked it at random. It was like really short and sweet. Yeah. Uh, oh man, this. Uh, it's question 42 when we get to it next week it's going to very much be something that I can sort of ramble about because for some reason I played that game a lot oh I played it too which yeah. game? Grand, Grand Stream Saga, Saga. Oh. The, uh, the fifth quintet game Is that... yeah. oh the no face one yeah yeah the no face one yeah I played about an hour of that and that was sufficient yeah. yeah. So, so let, let's save it for next week. Okay. okay. Yeah. Because otherwise, we will have this conversation right now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, consider that a taster for next week. Uh, thank you, uh, Fireminer, for all the questions. And thank you for reading as well, Fireminer. Okay. So plug time. Yep. I better do this. Better do this before I lose nerve again. Okay. So yes, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu, Y A R I M I Z U, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, with three paperback collections currently available via Amazon. Fourth one is still in the works, and hoping to have it by the end of June, maybe. So, this sum- t- sometime this summer. Okay. 
So please read, like, um, I mean, like me on Twitter, whatever, Michael Yadi Mizu on Twitter, and uh, please just leave some feedback on the page, please. So, <laughs> I, I, I love to hear it. I love to see it. So. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and as for questions, they can go in the comments section or they can go in the Discord. We will answer uh, both. Uh, I suppose you could try to send them via smoke signal or carrier pigeon or something else, but no guarantees there. Um, let's see. Uh, if you haven't joined the RP Gamer Discord, uh, it's a nice place. People talk about things there. We, we talk in there if you want to scream at us directly, I guess. Oh, uh, oh okay. I got to got a comment on the dragon quest fake heroes adventure yeah yeah it's like okay so my friend here is like yay they're the truest most fake heroes of all time <laughs> that makes sense yes okay sorry uh, yeah so that's uh otherwise i think we're finished here so see you space cowboys see you Love.